Well, good morning. It is so good to have you with us. Would you stand with us as we begin this morning singing, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Sing with us, please. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. and uh, grateful for the opportunity to worship together with you as we're making our way in here today. I hope that our hearts are in a place ready uh, to worship and to appreciate the goodness of our God. Uh, I'm Pastor Adam Love, Senior Pastor here at Grace, and as always, our church welcomes you. If you're visiting with us, I hope that you'll take a moment, fill out a connection card, and uh, there's available, those are available, or the QR code that's available in the bulletin and uh, on the screen even right now. And uh, so appreciate uh, the opportunity to worship together with you here today. We've got a few that we're praying for, and there are some that, uh, uh, that are continuing to uh, be challenged by some different physical needs and, and uh, then others uh, that have gone through, again, loss of a loved one. Think of uh, Joy Brown and, and uh, her family and the passing of her mother, and, and uh, so be in prayer for them. As well, uh, Robert Malone, different ones that uh, have just been in quite a journey. And uh, so we're just asking that as a church we pray. Uh, Roger Martin recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And just, you know, just these things happen. In a family like ours, we hear and we recognize that there are those that uh, they are just struggling. And so we just uh, continue to pray and lift them up. And then 
I'd ask that you also pray. There is a, a young lady uh, in her early 20s that uh, just passed away that uh, was close to our family up in Wisconsin. And uh, Aaliyah was a, a, a girl that was part of our school and ministry and church there in a youth group and uh, found her dead yesterday. And uh, we're still praying and grieving. You know, it just... We think about sickness and passing and things like this. It happens when you're old or when, uh, you know, it's expected. But it's hard when you see that there is still so much of life left in these young people. So let's pray one for another. Pray that God continues to allow us to be a church that reaches into our community and to see lives and touch hearts and uh, really see the opportunities that are before us. And let's go to him at this time. And let's lift our hearts to him, rejoicing at the same time for what God is doing. And at the same time, we bear the burdens, those things that we carry. Father, we're grateful for today and grateful that we can come into a place like this. And we, we do, we bring our burdens. We came into this place carrying those things with us that this world, this life, this week has presented the challenges of it. And so, Lord, we would be remiss to think about the fact that we have people within our, our family here, our church community that are carrying heavy loads. Uh, there are definitely needs. And then Lord, at the same time, we rejoice in the, the ways that you celebrate life and you bring life to be and you heal and you, you nurture and you provide and you answer prayer. You're not in the business of ignoring our prayers, but Lord, you hear us. And in the groans of our heart and in the delights of our existence, Lord, we come before you today and we're grateful for a God that cares. And so Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and pray for those that are struggling, those who are enduring loss, those who in the past few months have watched loved ones go on to be with you. And Lord, we just pray that you can be a consistent source of comfort. I pray that as we start today, Lord, as we sang this first song, blessed be the name of the Lord, Lord, we would be also remiss to not recognize that we come here today to focus on you and to in many ways put away the distractions, to put away those things that have got us sidetracked and to again refresh our hearts and minds in the truth of who you are, that you are a God that cares, a God that is strong, a God that is all-powerful, a God that is ever-present, ever-near, a God that is aware that you are not aloof, you're not a far-off God, but you're present. And Lord, I pray that today we would settle into you, that we would lean upon you, that we would trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Speak to our hearts today. May we be refreshed in you this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the next uh, song that we're going to sing, we're just encouraged as soldiers of Christ, as followers of Christ, to put on the whole armor of God, but that God... Christ has already won the victory, right? We know who, we know who has won. He conquered death. But uh, we can overcome through Christ alone, and as, as the song says, and stand in him complete at last. Would you stand with me as we sing together the hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. Soldiers of Christ
God, thank you for the promises in your word that you're faithful, you're true, you're honest, you're pure, you're just. We thank you for the attributes that you display perfectly. And God, we're thankful that you love us, you hold us securely, you hold us fast. And for that, we're eternally grateful. Lord, give us open hearts as we listen to your message this morning. I pray for Adam that you just give him the strength that he needs today. You give him the insight from the Holy Spirit as to what he's sharing with us today that would draw us closer to you. And we pray those things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. I like to do something before we get started and uh, sort of a little bit of an exercise to kind of get us into what we'll do here this morning. I'd like for you just to just close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes. No, this is not an altar call yet, okay? I want you just to close your eyes for a second. I mean, hold them closed, okay? I'm not going to do anything spooky or scary. I'm not going to come touch you without knowing, okay? Just... And I want you to imagine for a moment with your eyes closed that the color green is black, the color white is black, that all of the colors of the rainbow have just disappeared into the blackness behind your eyelids. I want you to imagine that you can never understand the shape of a tree or to know the, the face of your mother that the face of your father has completely vanished and there is no recognition of that face anymore. I want you to imagine that all of the surroundings around you are clothed in utter blackness and darkness and that as you would have imagined trying to leave this place to leave in the same eyes shut existence and that this is how you would now live the rest of your life. You can open your eyes. And for the vast majority of us, that is not the case. And even with our eyes closed, there is still the ambience of the light that we could see as it would kind of cast its way through our eyelids. But for one that is born blind, a person who has never been able to ever see to imagine that they have no concept of color, no concept of shape, no concept of visage. They have no frame of reference when we talk about what we see to describe it. They don't get the connection of sight and sound. They're blind. In John's Gospel, chapter nine, we come to a story where God takes the light and places it on a blind man. And looking at John chapter nine together this morning and thinking about what God does through this life and what God does to bring to light the truth of who he is to one man, one man. The beauty of John nine is that it is in a sequential order the follow John chapter eight. That makes sense, right? In John chapter eight, there is the story that begins the chapter with the woman that is caught in adultery that's brought to Christ, the writing in the sand and all of these things that happen. But really the heart of it is there in the following verses, really verses 12 and following, 
where Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. It's one of the great I am statements that John will use as he continues to build really understanding, a shaping and understanding of who Jesus is. And this come and see relationship, this come and see who he is, it's, it's that aspect, see him. And so a lot of what John does is to emphasize the, the, the visage, the, the appearance, the, the presence, the reality that this Jesus exists, and not just a historical setting, not just in mankind, not just as a man, but that in this identity of who he is, is that he is God. And the presence of God has come. Do you see him? And, and then there's this constant invitation to come, come along. In John 9, as we read in verse 1, it says, And he passed by, he saw a man, referring to Jesus, blind from birth. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You get a lot of theo theological conundrum in verse 2 there. And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. And therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, this is he. And so others were saying, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. And so they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay. He anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought him to the Pharisees. The man who was formerly blind and now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh-oh. And then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. He said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And the Jews then did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And for this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
And so a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And so they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. And why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they revived him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. And we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing. You do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. And since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? And so they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who may see may become blind. And those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Father, I pray that this story of a blind man who received his sight could help us today to see for ourselves something true about your person, about who you are in our relationship with you. Take your word now and use it in our midst, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. John uses this chapter to tell of a, the sixth sign or miracle that Jesus performed. This is not the only blind man that Jesus healed, but there, here it comes on the heels of chapter 8 where Jesus has declared that he is the light of the world. And in the telling of this story, I find it interesting that John, what John chooses to highlight inside of this telling of this account, phrases like he, referring to Jesus, saw a man blind from his birth. It's, it's not just that he recognized, it's like he put his eyes on him as one who could see, now looking at one who cannot see. In verse 35, the question that's asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this is John's biggest question he's asked through the entirety of this book. What do you believe in? Do you believe? And then the verse 39, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
I'd like to break this story down a little bit this morning and, and all of these pieces of John's account as, that are written here to bring to us a, really a place of decision, a place to decide, and even asking of our own hearts, what are we believing in? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Let's look at a few things. First of all, the healing of the blind man is the story of its, at the heart of it is about this. It's this, really the summation of the whole thing here in many ways. You have a blind man, a a man born blind. This was his identity. And then that statement that this was not about sin, that this is a birth, this birth that was arranged by God so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Oh, there's a lot of implications to the sovereignty of God in this moment. I mean, there's so many things that you can take away from just that understanding, the plan of God on track. I mean, everything about his existence was not an accident. This was not something that was a fluke of some uh, mishap. Again, to their understanding that anything of this nature would mean that God was cursing them or scourging them or berating them or in some way they're reaping the consequences of some past failure. I mean, to even say that this man born in this situation, you know, was it because of his birth? He'd never done anything. This man was born with God knowing his situation, and at this moment, his very existence was to become an illustration of the glory of God. Have you ever asked yourself why you're here? You ever asked yourself why it is that I'm going through what I'm going through, the experiences of life? So many times we're trying to escape those things, but yet appreciating that here is an illustration of what God says that this was all done so that the works of God could be presented through this one. But there's more here than just discovering the purpose of the blind man. It's the work of Christ that is on display. And what work is that? You know, Jesus did something very similar in Mark's account. We won't take the time, but Mark chapters 7 and 8 He uses in the deaf man and then in another blind man, he uses spittle. And we kind of frown upon that. I don't know about you. When I read through this, I kind of go, yuck. You know, that's that's just one of my human reactions to the telling of this story. I find it let's be honest, distasteful. I I don't really find it pleasant to have somebody spit on me. You know, that's just one of those things. But in their culture, in their day, there was really a a fixed purpose for this. Spittle could be seen as dirty, and yet as Kosenberger wrote it in his commentary, it was believed, and I quote, that that very dirt could become an instrument of blessing in the hands of authorized individuals, and thus blood and saliva generally pollute, but in certain contexts, blood cleanses and saliva cures. And in the Old Testament, saliva may convey ceremonial uncleanness, Leviticus 15.8, but if the reversal of this taboo also applies, then by using saliva to cure a man, Jesus claims to possess unusual spiritual authority, end quote. The use of clay is a little bit more confusing here. This is the only time it's recorded that Christ ever did something like this to heal anyone. Leon Morris put it this way, he says, some of the patristic writers, those early writers of the church heard 
in the mention of mud, a reference to Genesis 2-7, where man is made out of the dust of the earth. And if this is the right way of viewing the passage, we are to discern in Jesus' action a work of creation, end quote. The conception of this man, to think about it, in his conception as a fallen human being created in sin, and not because of the sin necessarily of of a specific act or a specific rebellion against God, but just by his very nature, by his very identity as a fallen being, in that creation aspect, he had been created as blind. But it's like God takes of the very dirt that he has been fashioning mankind and creation itself as the the image bearer of that understanding. He, He takes that very clay and he takes and puts it on the greatest identity of lack, of missing, of something identifying him as who he is, as fallen, as sinner, as rejected, as an outcast, as a beggar. And it's like he makes him brand new. This one who now is confronted one day by a man whom he could not see. And yet this man saw him. And now he has spit and clay in his eyes. (laughs) And then Jesus says, go wash. And he tells him where to go is Shalom, which is actually translated sent. And washing was in alignment with their Jewish law. It was a symbol of purification, of being dedicated to God. It was what the people would do when they had been released from leprosy or from some ceremonial uncleanness. They would wash themselves. And Christ is telling this man, the thing that made you separated from the fellowship is now no longer going to be set against you. And how is that possible? It's because of what Jesus Christ did. And what does this mean for us? It's the same thing it was meant to reveal to all who saw this blind man show up to a pool called Siloam. I mean, can you imagine this blind guy? He's finding his way. Remember blind. He stumbles around and he finds his way as he enters into that pool area of Siloam and he bends down to the water and he picks the water up and he begins to wash his face take the mud and peel it back from his eyes that had already crusted. And can you imagine when he opened his eyes? Whoa! I mean, put yourself there. I think he probably just stood up and, oh, that's nice. Can you imagine the reaction? What? What's that? Oh, I mean, everything now is seen. Do you think the people around him just heard a little murmur? Jesus didn't do this in isolation. Jesus put him out there as an opportunist to declare this is what God's done. Hmm. To think about our sight. To recognize that our blindness has been removed. Imagine the moment, the personal reaction of a blind man that the attention that he must have garnered by all that were around him, it got so much attention. This poor blind, formerly blind man is brought to the ones who are supposed to affirm that this was indeed something done by God. 
which now leads us to the, to the second part, and that's the hearing of the blind man. And by hearing, I'm not talking about the ear, but in verses 13 through 33, court convenes. And the issue is not about the miracle, but the fact that Jesus had made clay on the Sabbath. Can you get a hold of that for just a minute? That's just the part that just irks the fire out of me. These religious nutcases, that's just the only way I can refer to them, they are so consumed with an aspect of something that is against their tradition, against their law perceived, that they miss the fact that a guy who was blind is now seeing. Where did that come from? But this is a major accusation. To do work on the Sabbath was a stonable offense. But what we find consistently, even in the law itself, is that you were always to value the human life over the law itself. This section is more about the keeping of a law, a statute, than about receiving the intent of the law. You remember when we preached a few weeks ago from Exodus chapters 15 through 17, we kind of covered through that, spent our time in Exodus 17, and how God had brought the nation of Israel. He brought them through the Red Sea, and he had brought them to those places. There, first of all, the Tamara, where the water was bitter. Then they came out into the desert, and there was no bread, there was no food, and so God provides manna. Then they come again to the next place where water was not found at all, and God provides them a rock. And there's the striking of the rock, and God provides for them. And every time God would do something, he would bring forth a blessing. The testing would bring them along and show them how incapable they were of taking care of themselves. And God would then provide for them. He would bring water. He would bring food. He would bring water again. And every step along the way, God would then, after each one of those events, he would write a statute. He would give them a law. And we treat that in our very New Testament way of thinking, oh, law, bad. No, God was identifying that this is how you need to recognize how you are so easily tempted to pull away into isolation, remove yourself from my provision and what I am capable of doing for you to forget me. Oh, how quickly do we go into life and into our day and we just forget God. And God put it in there as something that they need to come back to constantly. Remind yourself of these truths. Remind yourself of these statements. Here's the statute. Here is the edict. Here is the command. Don't forget these things. Now, obviously, he gives them the 10 primary. And those are the laws. Those are the things that they are to remember. But they were to ultimately never forget where their true confidence was to rest. And that is in a true God. Not in the idols that they were tempted to believe that all the other nations around them observed, but in the oneness, the trueness, the selectiveness, the exclusivity of one God. And hundreds of years later, the Messiah comes and the promised seed born of a woman born under that same law so that he might redeem them from a law of tablets of stone so that he could then also put a new law a law that would be written upon their hearts and the law of Christ was to be given. And now due to the miracle that was about to be witnessed in just a few days from John chapter 9, a sacrifice would be offered and God would again provide exactly what the world needed. 
And then a new law would take hold of the hearts and the lives of mankind that you must believe in the Jesus that I have sent in order to be saved. And all of it would hinge on that question that he asks of that blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Pharisees were divided over this event. They even get tripped up. I love verse 17. Look at verse 17 again. And so they said to the blind man, what do you say about him? You know, it's like, okay, let's, let's, and I, I, it's like they, they stepped in it. I'm just going to put it that They stepped in it big time. He's a prophet. Oh, they don't like that answer. In verse 18, the Jews do not believe the report of the one who's been born blind. I mean, how much more stubborn can you get? The stubbornness of their resolve to hold on to something that was being refuted in ways that they could not ignore. But then I love the end of the section over in verses 26 again. Look at verse 26. And he says, what did, there, he's asked again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said, I told you already. You wouldn't listen. And in some ways, we could turn this phrase, the hearing of the blind man, back to our ears again. You that have ears to hear, hear. It's like they put the blind man to the test, but by his very results, by the life that he has lived now, the the testimony of Christ at work in him, they refuse to listen and they stop their ears. You're not hearing me. Is that your condition this morning? You've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You can look in a room filled with people just like here and see how God has transformed lives and marriages and homes and children and people. And yet you will not believe in the person of Jesus Christ. You refuse to hear the truth, the results of the life lived. And yes, these are not perfect people. You don't see in this room perfect people. It's because this blind man was not perfect. It's because of what Christ had done in him. And yet you sit in a service like this, and maybe you attend regularly, and yet you refuse to simply believe in the story, the message, the reality, the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Why? He finishes this. I love what he says there. I was one who was blind, and now I see. Once you notice to me the last section in verses 35 through 41. And Jesus heard that they had put this blind man out. He was basically excommunicated from the synagogue. That was, I don't have time to go into all of that, but boy, that was a big deal. That was huge in his religious construction of life. And Jesus heard of this. And he found this man. You know, in chapter 9, verse 1, it says he saw him. I don't know where the man was. We don't really have any indication of that. Apparently, he was probably sitting in a place begging. There's enough distance where his disciples could come along and say, so why was he born blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? No, no. And he goes up to him. Now he's seeing, 
And Jesus finds him again. And now he poses a question that has more to do than just simply his physical eyesight. Now I want to know, number three, where your heart is. And he addresses the heart of the blind. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Church, let me ask you, do you believe in the Son of Man? I do. And in that asking, he's like, who is he? There was such an openness in his heart, a readiness. He'd already had his world exploded with what he was seeing and seeing around him. But now I'm going to ask you to do something that takes it and goes beyond what necessarily your physical eye can see. And I'm going to come into your heart. What does your heart see? Do you believe in the Son of Man? In Scripture, you have a lot of description of people. You've got Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Simon, the tanner, Judas, the zealot, James and John, the sons of thunder. You know, you got, you got a lot of these very descriptive titles and names. And we come to this man, but not just to this one man. What's interesting is that this section, verses 35 through 41, deals with multiple blind people. At the heart of the matter, John shows us what Jesus was really concerned about. Do you believe in the Son of Man? So who is he? And I love that part in verse 37, you have both seen him. Isn't that neat? And he's the one who's talking with you. So I'm still confused. Who is he? You think there was any doubt in verse 38? Emphatically, Lord, I believe. And what's neat is that next part, he worshiped him. Wow. Wow. What a statement and what an understanding and what a turn of events. You once were blind, but now you see. You see the one, the only one who can truly set you free. Jesus had declared, I am the light of the world and judgment has come now. And here the concept is more to the confrontation with truth. There is a statement that's been declared. Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he? It's the one who's standing right in front of you. Now you have a decision to make, and that's what judgment does. Judgment brings about a discerning of truth. I have a truth set and before me. What will I now do with that truth? Will I accept it as true, or will I ignore it? Will I reject it? And in that moment, you make a judgment call, and Christ then has opportunity as well to pass along judgment. Christ knows your heart here this morning. God knows the genuineness of what you're putting your faith, your trust into. And where does this leave those Pharisees then? He says in this section, Jesus had declared it very plainly, but it's in front of all of these people that are following him. How will we respond then when the judge of the earth has been brought to light? Go back to John chapter 8 for just a minute. Look at verse 31 and 32 with me for in a moment. Just putting this kind of in a, a vein that's building up out of John chapter 8. <coughs> John 8 verse 31. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. 
And verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is not about being born into the right family, into some form of a religion or some higher class. As he says there in verse 39, back here in chapter 9 now, chapter 9, verse 39, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Where does this leave then those Pharisees who were with Jesus when he spoke these words, witnessed this altercation? And they ask him, we're not blind too, are we? In verse 41, if you're blind... There's no sin. But if you see, your sin remains. And what he's basically doing is he's paralleling this thought with John chapter 3. He says in verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge, but that the world might be saved through him. But in this case, it fits exactly what John had recorded later in that conversation with Nicodemus. When he says in chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, he who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. And for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Then you jump to where we are in this passage in chapter 9 and even to chapter 8, and mankind loves to stay blind. They don't want to have the light shown upon them to be seen as evil, to be seen as the reason for the hate, the fighting, the overwhelming sense of dread to know that you are at war against the very God that made you because ignorance is bliss. But Christ does not want the world to be ignorant because in their ignorance, they still suffer the consequence of the condemnation that's already upon them. In other words, he does not want your neighbors to exist blind. And for these Pharisees, it was their refusal to see Christ for who he was as their savior. They had conditioned themselves to be free of any need of saving. But to the blind man, Jesus was everything. He was everything that offered hope and it was more than just his eyesight. He truly believed. So what can we take away? What can we leave here with this morning? Let me give you a few things. I want you to ask yourself three questions here this morning. First of all, are you still blind? Now in this phrase, in this passage, it's interesting because it's an interesting way he plays on this. But really I'm going to take it to the heart of dealing with the, the situation of the blind man. The difference between the Pharisees and this once blind man was what they were blinded by. You know, this could appear very obvious, but let me ask it plainly. Are you attempting to manufacture a status that you feel makes whatever God you think you're worshiping happy with you? Is your sufficient hope found only in believing that Jesus is who he declares himself to be? Are you seeing 
Jesus as the only hope for your eternal soul's destination and for the forgiveness of the sin that keeps you separated from a holy, loving God. And are you still blind here this morning? Are you blind by your self-righteousness or are you blind by your pride? Are you blind by your unwillingness to just simply believe in who Jesus truly is? Then let me tell you this morning, you don't have to leave here blind. If you know that Jesus Christ has that authority to save you and you're willing to believe in him, you can do that right now in the stillness of your own heart, right where you're at, simply acknowledging yourself to be that sinner that you are and that we all were and still in many ways can behave like but because of that one sin of refusal to believe in who Jesus is, it's keeping you from enjoying everything that puts you into a relationship with him. Maybe you're still confused about that, that don't leave here today without talking to somebody. Come find one of us. And let's figure out a way that God could show you from his word that you can receive your sight and see him for who he is. But then there's a second question that I want to ask you. Are you seeing the blind people around you? The one thing that stands out to me about this man that's transformed by the power of Christ is how he became immediately associated with the disciples of Christ. It said in verse 28, you can be his disciple. We're not his disciples. We're disciples of Moses. And he had no qualms being considered a disciple of Jesus He just didn't really know who he was. But do other blind people recognize that you seem to see more clearly? Is the light of the gospel penetrating the blindness of the people that are around you? Because when you come, you bring the light of the truth with you because that's who you are now. Do you see them? As Jesus saw that blind man, do you see the blind? Do you wake up in the morning and ask yourself, okay, God, how many blind people can I recognize in my world today? And what of the gospel am I going to be able to share with them today? Or have we allowed the light to diminish in our own hearts so much so that we're really contradictory to what we've been called to be? And that leads me then to the third question. Are your new eyes leading you to worship? Sunday is not the only day to worship. It's a Monday through Sunday experience. It's the expression of our faith. It's the expression of what we know to be true of God. And God teaches us more about himself. And we go through our maras and we go through our places of bitterness and we go through our droughts and we go through our seasons of testing. Jesus declared... I am the light of the world in verse 33, and that beacon leads us to daily declare the glory of God. In Matthew 5 and verse 14, he tells us, you are the light of the world. So let your life be the evidence that Christ has come. Don't live as if you are blind to the light, but let it be that God has shown upon your heart in such a dynamic way that Grace Baptist Church is a lighthouse. And everywhere you go, you are the beacon of hope for people who just need to see Christ. 
Because then when you tell them of him, it's not a stretch for them to imagine. If Christ can do that in you, he can do that in me. Let's shine light upon the blind. Let's be that kind of a people. Let's reach them with the gospel because they're all around us. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll draw us to yourself and to your word. And I pray for that one that's here that's lost. Your word describes them as one who is without hope, one that is floundering, without direction. And in many ways, your word puts them in this very description, this blindness, there without being able to see. And so, Lord, we ask that through the ministry of your word and through what your spirit can do this morning, that you would open the eyes of those that are blind to see you, to behold you, to be able to express in their heart, to know without a doubt that you truly are the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you would save that soul today. Lord, then I think about us who have been saved for years, and our lips and our lives have become darkened and silent tombs of this gospel We have done exactly what your word says, where the light has been lit, but yet we have shoved it underneath the bushel basket. We have hidden it away. We are the light of the world. That's what you've said. We are now that light. We represent you to this world. And so, Lord, to this blind man, your ability to take away his physical blindness paled in comparison to what you're able to do to take away his spiritual blindness. Lord, I pray that we would evaluate our existence to think about how we are shining you forth boldly, clearly, by lives and lips that match as we share Christ with others. And so, Lord, if there is something in our hearts today that's distracting, that's depleting, that's diminishing, that is obscuring that effectiveness, I pray that we would walk in humility and repentance, and I pray that we would submit our hearts, our ambitions, our lives to the law of Christ that the rest of your word speaks to, and that we would love you because you first loved us. Our eyes are open, and may we remind ourselves of what it was like to stand next to the pool of our washing, the place where you cleansed us of our sins, and the relief in the release of that condemnation. May we rejoice. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
please be seated. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Kelly O'Rear, and I am the discipleship pastor here at Grace. And I have a few sort short. <laughs> I need to sort the short announcements uh, before we head into our fellowship time and the discipleship hour. Big emphasis this morning that we want to keep before you and keep on your minds is. Um, to remind you to please make sure you have updated your information on our online directory that's called Shelby Next. It only takes a few minutes to do that and um, <clears throat> would be so helpful for us as a church to be able to effectively communicate with each other. So this, this enhances our ability to connect and to communicate um, we're also going to be using this in the future to sign up for classes, for small groups, uh, to keep up with folks to know how they're doing or if someone's missing. So here's an important aspect that we're going to highlight this morning. Um, remember how we used to have, do you remember, because some of you have asked for these, the, the old directories that had the pictures and the name, and how many of you remember those? Okay. All right, so I'm just making sure you're listening. Um, so it was helpful to kind of put names with faces in that way, but this is the same context and the same, same type thing uh, that we want to create in our online directory. So it's important that you take a few minutes to, to um, upload a picture of yourself onto uh, this family and, and for your family members onto this, uh, this setup. If you don't know how to do that, right back here behind the sound booth, Pam and Laura are going to be there after the service and they can help you with that as well. In fact, if you need them to take a picture with your cell phone and then download it on there, they can do that for you. They can do amazing things back there. In fact, if you've got any dent, no, that's not dental issues. They can't do that. Not set up for that this morning. Um, but they're going to be set up in the back of the auditorium behind the sound booth. Either of them can help you to get logged in, to get set up on this app. So thanks for taking the time to help us with that. Also a reminder um, next is that there are no evening activities here in this building. Uh, just a reminder to the youth, the big game party is tonight. Um, and that's going to be at the Gilmore's house. So if you have any other questions about that, you can connect with Steve over that. Um, and so I think we're done for this morning. There's your announcements. And so table will be right back there. Um, for those of you that are visiting with us, now is our time of fellowship. And if you want to go straight through those double doors, then you'll see another set of double doors. Then you'll see another set of double doors. If you keep going through those, you'll find where our fellowship time is. And please join us there. Church, thank you for coming and you are dismissed. <laughs>